Shabbat Shalom. Thank you all again for the warm, warm, gracious welcome. I was saying last night how generous the Hachnasat Orchim is here in this community, and I'm starting to feel this morning that it's um, dangerously strong. Yeah, I might just stay. <laughs> I really don't. Um, so before we begin our reading from the Torah this morning, let me try to locate us briefly in the story. Where are we this morning? Of course, we're in the wilderness. Don't feel bad, we're always in the wilderness. Uh, and last week in Parashat Kitisa, we experienced that devastating breach between God and the people of Israel at Sinai. That high mountaintop moment of great hope and intimacy and connection which then became a moment of correspondingly great disappointment, betrayal, and pain. When God and Moshe understood what was happening at the bottom of the mountain, where the people had fashioned a calf of gold. If last week's Parsha held out for us the possibility of forgiveness, this week's double Parsha of Vayakel Pekudeh holds out for us the possibility and the work of healing that comes after forgiveness. We're told in a midrash that Betzalel came and healed the wound of the golden calf. Betzalel ba et We came away from that event wounded. And in a deep way, the Mishkan is understood as a way of repairing the damage done to our relationship with God. A lot of tzimis has been made about what makes the Mishkan different from, and therefore a tikkun for the golden calf. So I'd like to make just a little more tzimis about that this morning. First, in order to understand what makes them different, we need to understand what makes them the same. And what makes them the same is the gold, the raw material. Right? We're about to read in our first aliyah about the menorah of the Mishkan that was made entirely out of one large piece of gold. Amidrash in Shmot Rabbah makes explicit the significance of the gold. God says in the, Mish- in the Midrash, Yavo zehav mishkan v'chaper al zehav ha'egev. Let the gold of the mishkan come and atone for the gold of the calf. This is not just a theological sort of tit for tat. The deeper point is that exactly the same material can be used either to draw us closer to God or to draw us farther away from God. The same materials can be used to serve the one who creates and connects us all or to serve ourselves alienated and separated from each other and from God. The same materials. This same lesson is 
taught in one of my favorite commentaries on the question of why Moshe broke that first set of luchot when he saw the people worshiping the calf. Uh, the Meshech Chochmah says that Moshe understood actually in that moment that the people would turn the luchot, would turn the tablets into an idol. Um, that our idolatrous gaze can turn anything into a false object of worship. The tablets, the tabernacle, the temple. It's really a very radical teaching. Um, and it's echoed here uh, in this understanding of the relationship between the gold of the menorah and the gold of the calf. So once we understand the difference between the Egel and the Mishkan has nothing to do with the materials out of which they're made, but with us, with how we're building what we're building, we can think about what some of those differences are. Um, and I want to just highlight two, really, that relate specifically to the image of the menorah in this first aliyah that we're about to read. The first is that the text makes a point of telling us that the whole menorah, with all of its branches and blossoms, had to be hammered from one solid piece of gold. There are many understandings of what idolatry is about. We're very nimble um, in terms of uh, the ways that we find to engage in avodah but one definition of idolatry is mistaking a part of the divine unity for the whole, separating out a piece of the unity and worshiping that aspect. Moshe Halbertal uh, and Abishai Margalit in their very extensive study of idolatry point out that this is why in various Kabbalistic traditions the symbols of divine unity are often organic symbols, primordial man or a tree whose various aspects are connected with one another. And idolatry in this context, again, is the separation of a part from its unity and the worship of that separated part. So the menorah that we see uh, in this morning's Parsha is precisely such an image of organic unity a flowering almond tree fashioned from a single piece of gold, reminding us never to mistake a part for the whole, reminding us of God's oneness. When we mistake a part for the whole, when we separate ourselves from each other and fail to see the deep connections that bind and hold us all, that is a form of idolatry. When we look at any one person, a human being created in the image of God, and only see one thing, one aspect of who they are, their color, their class, their success, their failure, a strength, a weakness, that too is idolatry. Our teacher and the founder of the rabbinical school at Hebrew College, Rabbi Art Green, shares a teaching from his teacher, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. 
about why the Torah is so concerned with idolatry. He says, you might think it's that because God has no image and any image of God is therefore a distortion. But no, Heschel said, it is precisely because God has an image that idols are forbidden. You are the image of God. But the only medium in which you can shape that image is that of your entire life. To take anything less than a full, living, breathing human being and try to create God's image out of it, that diminishes the divine and is considered idolatry. He ends by saying, you can't make the image of God. You can only be the image of God. So the menorah hammered from that one solid piece of gold and fashioned in an image of blossoming organic unity shines a light on that truth. And it shines a light on one other important truth that I want to bring into our listening this morning. And that's the truth of our fundamental need for each other and for God. There's a wonderful midrash that Jessica, where is she? Rabbi Jessica Kate Meyer uh, first introduced me to, in which uh, God, Moshe is trying to learn how to make the menorah. And God keeps showing him, and Moshe keeps not getting it. Um, and uh, finally, God tells him to throw it into the fire, and it comes out fully formed. So just notice for a moment that this is a really interesting inversion of what happened with the golden calf. Right? With the golden calf, Aaron actually helped to build the calf. And then afterwards, when he's trying to avoid responsibility, he says, I just threw the gold into the fire, and this is what came out. Right? Um, so in the Midrash, the opposite is happening. Moshe is trying valiantly, and he's a little upset with himself um, that he can't, but he's trying valiantly to take responsibility for making the menorah. And then finally, what he has to learn is to accept that he just can't do it himself. In one version of the Midrash, God miraculously fashions it out of the fire, and in another version, Bitzalel does it. Either way, we've learned something else important about the wound of idolatry. There's both the idolatry of not taking responsibility for the power we have and the idolatry of thinking we have power we don't. Moshe learns and teaches us something important in this Midrash about trying and taking responsibility and about recognizing that we need help from each other, from God. We spend so much of our lives fleeing from this absurdly obvious truth. It's a truth that's connected to a verse that comes just a little bit earlier in the Parsha, when the people have responded to the call to create the Mishkan with such overwhelming generosity, so overwhelming, in fact, that Moshe has to tell them to stop. 
So the people stopped bringing, and then we're told, dayam. Their efforts were enough. The hotel, there was even leftover. So this brings us all the way back to the opening of the Parsha, and with this I, I want to conclude and move us into the reading. The opening of the Parsha, of course, even before the Mishkan is mentioned, the people are told to keep Shabbat. So Shabbat points us to the same intuition, right? We have to bring our gifts generously <clears throat> six days a week, and we have to know when to stop bringing them. We have to learn this not only for ourselves, not only to keep from burning out, though that's important. We have to learn this because it too can become a form of idolatry to think our gifts are so important that everything and everyone depends so greatly on us that we dare not stop bringing them. Learning this lesson is vital not only for how we live our lives, but it's also vital for how we face our deaths. The Kedushat Levi says, the meaning of that verse, Dayam the hotel, it was enough and there was extra left over, is that they understood their gifts were sufficient and they left room for the gifts of generations yet to come. Right? That's what there was, that was what there was extra of. So we practice this every week, saying, I've given enough, I've done enough. I've brought enough so that, God willing, when we reach the end of our lives, whenever that may be, we can say, I've given enough, I've done enough, I've brought enough. When we sing Mizmor Shirli on the Shabbat, we bring this awareness into our hearts. Which I will loosely translate as plant yourself exactly where you are, for wherever you are is in the house of the Holy One. Everything you need is here. You will grow tall like the palm. You will thrive like the cedars of Lebanon. You will flourish and be refreshed. You will bear fruit in your time. Set aside your tools. Stop your work and your wanderings. For six days, you are the gardener but on this day, you are the garden. I'd like to invite for the first Aliyah those who want to offer a bracha in honor of the menorah, in honor of Shabbat, in honor of enoughness, recognizing our limits in order to make room for others and make room for God. <clears throat> 